We've been walking ever so slowly through this uh, fantastic letter from Paul to the church in Ephesus. And we've gone all the way from verse 1 of chapter 1, and here we are in in chapter 6. It's the final chapter of the book, and it's some of the most powerful words um, in all of the book. As a preview, when my wife and I get back from vacation, (laughs) which will be, I'll be preaching on the 14th of July, uh, we'll be heading right into the spiritual armor of God. I'm sure you've probably heard that before from chapter 6 of Ephesians, but we're going to talk about the fact that the Christian life is a fight. And there is a a deep sense in which we need to be equipped for that fight. That's Ephesians chapter 6. But first, here we are um, with verse 5 through 9. And this concludes the section about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul is giving instructions for what it looks like in real life, in real time, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as we mentioned a couple weeks ago and last week, the word that Paul gives us, that the Bible gives us, is submission. That's the word. We talked about what does submission look like in a marriage. And that is, it's two people living together with nothing to lose. Then we looked last week at what does submission look like for children and for parents. And then this week, we're going to look at masters and slaves. And don't worry, we're going to address the elephant in the room. Don't worry, we're going to get to it. We're going to look at what the Bible says about a meta picture here. But we're going to dive in right now. Verse 5 of chapter 6. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service, as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bond servant or is free. Masters, do the same to them, and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven." and that there is no partiality with Him. One of the things the Bible is very clear about, from the very opening pages of the New Testament, is the fact that Jesus did not come to change every circumstance of every life on this planet. This is something that um, the Jews that Jesus first came to were incredibly disappointed about. The, the, the Jewish people at the time Jesus came to this earth, they were being oppressed. They were oppressed by the Roman regime that was in power at the time. And they thought, and it made sense that they thought this, that Jesus was going to be the grand Savior from all of their circumstances. That He was going to come, and because He was the Messiah, the translation of that being the Anointed One or the Chosen One, He was going to come and He was going to deliver His people from their oppressors. And He was going to free them from the circumstances of their life. Now absolutely, Jesus brought people and them freedom. But it was different than what everyone thought at the time. It was different. So that, this then is the way that many people see life. And we're getting to a principle here about the inside-out kingdom, but I want to set the table for us. 
as we dive in from chapter 6 of Ephesians. This is the way many people see life. Have you ever said this to yourself? I am in a bad circumstance. What I need to be happy, to have joy, to live the life God wants me to live, or the life that God promises me, is that I need my circumstances to change in some way. I need to get a better husband, job, home, car, family, city, pet, And then I'm going to find real joy at that moment. That's when I enter into the life and the energy that God has promised me. Or this, you may have said this, I know I have for sure. I will quit my pet sin when I'm in a different spot in life. When my setting changes, when I I go on that trip I've been thinking about. I will give more of my money away when the house is paid off and when the bills are lower. I'll obey God better when I have more energy. I'll help the sick when I get well. I'll love that person when they finally confess to me or they admit to how much they've actually hurt me. We've all done this. We all do this on a regular basis. I did it even this week. And I'll give you that example in a moment. But this is not at all what the Bible teaches about the gospel. The gospel is not something that changes circumstances. The gospel is something that changes a heart. It's something that starts from the very deep inside of us and begins to move out and change the world around us. And we have got to get this series of events in the correct order if we're going to understand at all what is happening in this passage today and at all what is happening in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is is happening in our particular passage is, as we mentioned a few weeks ago, Paul describing the Spirit-filled Christian. So, duh, obviously he's talking about something that happens within, that happens on the inside. Filling. I've been filled with the Holy Spirit, and thus I have a whole new way of living the life around me. It's inside out. The living the Christian life, catch this. This is the main point for today. Ready? If you like to write things down, this is a good time. Living the Christian life. Notice I did not say figuring it out or believing. Okay, Living the Christian life does not involve changing our circumstances first. That may come, but that is not the starting point. Let it settle in. You may be stuck in your same setup until the day you die. But God is going to and promises to work on the inside. And being filled with the Spirit is one of the ways God does this in a deeply powerful way. He fills with the Spirit and He changes us, He changes anyone from the inside out. Paradise starts within. It never comes from the outside. Much of history, and I know David Jordan could back me up on this, much of history is the story of human beings trying to create paradise from the outside in. And the story is full of cruelty and violence, forcing something to happen. After church today, my family and I leave on vacation. Yay. Amen. (laughs) We're going to drive 15 hours to Florida. Again, yay and amen. I don't know if you've ever been uh, like me or been on a vacation like mine often go, but here is the attitude that happens about day four. (laughs) You know much money we paid for this? (laughs) You are going to have fun. You hear me? You're going to change that attitude because we have just driven 15 hours and I'm not going to have you whine one more minute, right? 
Because I have this idea in my mind, we all do this. We're like, I need to change the circumstances and then everybody's going to be happy, right? I brought you to the beach. (laughs) Now, have some joy. But see, Jesus knows, the gospel of Jesus knows this. You can't just change from the outside in. You can't just flip the power structure. You can't do it. You can't just say, okay, whatever you feel is the oppressive force in America today, and everybody in here probably has their own version of it, but just take that, take that thing in your head, whatever you feel like is the oppressive force in America And your thinking is this, because it's mine too, is, okay, what we need to do is we need to take that oppressive force and we need to take the people that I like, myself mainly, and we need to flip this structure, right? We need to flip it to where my people, my thing, my attitude, my political philosophy is at the top, and whatever is now in the oppressive position needs to be reversed. And then, guess what happens? We get life, right? We get joy. Finally, the circumstances have changed and all of us are happy. That is not, 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 not what Jesus taught. He did, not, he did not teach it. He knew you can flip it, you can flop it. History is the story of power struggles, flipping and flopping, and all things staying relatively the same. Jesus said, my kingdom is something completely different than what you've experienced before. Let's read about it. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. Jesus is talking and he says, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He does not know how. It's a work of God. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. And he said, With what can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. And yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. Jesus said the kingdom is like a seed. It starts incredibly small, but it is going to revolutionize the world. He knew. He knew. Who is... The historians are all in agreement about one thing. The most important historical figure that has ever lived is Jesus. Think about it for a minute. He was a backwater carpenter in an incredibly backwater town in a backwater place of the world. This should never have happened. We should never be sitting here today talking about Jesus Christ and about his kingdom. But he said, it's a seed. It's a seed, and it is going to revolutionize the world. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Y'all, it's, this passage we just read today has been approached over the centuries as something that would condone Christi- what I would call Christian slavery, or the fact that Christianity does not really confront slavery. Right? Paul's just saying here, okay, look, Slavery's no big deal, whatever. Here's how you deal with it. You just be a good person. That's not at all what Paul's saying. What Paul is doing is he is carrying forth the principle of Jesus and he is laying the seed that would crack the foundations of slavery. Right here. And his point is not, you need to get a new philosophical, 
theological or political philosophy, and that is going to solve things. He is like, I'm going to plant a seed. I'm going to plant a seed. The spirit is going to work from within, and it is going to crack the foundation of slavery from the inside out. Now, it took centuries. It took centuries. But the mustard seed eventually grew, and it eventually cracked. We know that. You can read about what had happened in England with William Wilberforce. But what's happening here in our passage is it is at the seed level. It is at the seed level. Oppression is not the problem being addressed in our passage. Okay? The heart is. You fix the heart and you fix oppression. That's what Paul is trying to get across in our passage. We have new and different problems today, right, than what Paul was dealing with in this passage. But the same solution applies. He's not attacking oppression head on. He is attacking the heart head on. And he knows if you attack the heart head on, you begin to deal with oppression um, in a real, in, in a way that brings real solutions to the problems. Now, another thing I want to talk about, because again, we got to talk about this. We got to just get it out. Um, there are lots of people over the centuries, or especially now today, have said, okay, well, here you go. One more example. The Bible is regressive. It's behind the times. Um, there are plenty of churches, plenty of, of ministers. I was tempted myself to just be like, we're going to skip over that section. Historically irrelevant, and we're going to move on. I'm serious. That's a, like, leg- that's a position. I wouldn't call it legitimate, but it's a position that many in the church would take today and just say, you know, it's just historically. But I, I, there is a principle here that Paul's getting across that is important for us even today even today. And I think that that is an incredibly superficial view of this passage, to say that, yeah, it's, it's, it's irrelevant historically for what we're dealing with today. This was a different time, a different place. It's not true. Oppression, are you with me on this? Oppression is still around today. Is it, I mean, we're, we're still dealing with deep, deep human heart issues even today. But again, again, Paul is dealing with the principle from Jesus that it's inside out. It starts first with the heart, and then it works itself out in the philosophies of the world. Here's here's, here's a key point I need to make on this. Christianity, the Bible, we'll say, is not first a philosophy for doing life. It's not. It has a philosophy within it. Okay? It's not, first of all, a way that we're going to find social justice. Though, often people who are, the most, you know, who are the most proactive with social justice are Christians because their heart has been changed. But that's not what it is first. It never was meant to be, and it is not still today. It is first. Who do you think? Who do you, you as an individual, who do you think Jesus Christ is? That is, that is the question that is Jesus was dealing with, with the seed of the kingdom. It is what Paul is dealing with here. You've got to confront that first. And when you get that, when you understand that it's who do you think Jesus is and what does Jesus mean for you in your life? Is, it, as, is there a personal relationship with the king of the universe in your own life? Once that has been dealt with, you can move on to the other things, the philosophical questions, the theological questions, the questions about political philosophy and such. But they can only be answered when it's first informed through the fact that the Bible is going to confront you. It always does with who do you think Jesus is. And if you have not yet been confronted with that, perhaps today is, perhaps today is that day. Perhaps today's that day. Because again, what Paul knows, what Jesus was teaching was, 
When the life of Christ begins to flow into you, it brings real change. And when one human heart is changed, it begins to change the relationships around them. When those relationships around them are changed, it changes the people that they interact with, and it begins, to, it begins to spread, and it begins to heal, and it begins to move, and oppression is actually attacked. So again, let's look at this seed level here for us this morning. Let's refuse to be shallow with this passage. Let's understand that absolutely not, absolutely not, is this condoning slavery in any way? And absolutely not is this something we can just wipe out from the Bible and pass through. God has written these words down, and we must deal with what is there in front of us. Okay, so let's do it. The seed in the heart. So what Paul is saying is, look, the Holy Spirit begins to fill a person. This was in chapter 5. When that Holy Spirit begins to fill a, per- fill a person, that person begins to experience effusive praise. Remember that? You can't help but sing about the glories and the wonders and the beauty of Jesus and of God and of the King of the universe. You cannot help it. Also, your heart becomes insanely thankful. You're thankful for every person in your life, for every breath, for every gift you've been given, for every ability that you have. Just effusive thankfulness. And then finally, submission. Submission. First of all, to the Lord. We lay down our lives to God. We say, God, I don't, I don't have this thing figured out. I do not have life figured out. I do not have all of my relationships figured out. I completely and unreservedly give myself to you. And then through that process, we begin to do the same with other people. And Paul says, do you want to see that principle at work in real world? Right here. Y'all, and we can use, I know we don't have like slavery we're dealing with today, but you can use employee-employee relationships in a really potent way with this passage, okay? We're talking about submission here. Paul says, what does this shift look like within a heart? He says, what's going to look like for the employee, in his passage, the bond servant? You're going to go from serving a human being to serving God. It's going to be imperceptible. It's going to be within the heart. It's not going to be something that people are going to, you're going to raise a sign about. You're not going to put a bumper sticker on your car. But it will absolutely revolutionize everything about your work and about yourself at your work. Because what's going to happen is you're going to see that all of what you do is going to be for God and from God and to God. Let's read about it. Bond servants. Obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. What, this, this was powerful, y'all, at the time. It, we can't see it as much today. But at the time, he was, Paul was giving, God was giving, incredible worth and incredible dignity to, quote, bondservants or slaves. He was calling them, not only human beings, uh, way beyond that. He was saying, you ha- have moral agency. You are, you are a beloved of God. You are in the same kingdom. And you're going to hear he's going to talk to masters too in just a minute. But this is true for an employee also. He says, view yourself not as owned by someone, not as working for some nameless, faceless company. You are working for the Lord. That's who you work for. You have an ultimate and a different boss. And this boss loves you. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, this is a boss that is also your father. That is going to care for you every step along the way. The lordship of Christ transcends any particular circumstance. God is lord of a person's inner life before any actions take place. Here's how Paul puts it. 
in another passage. This is St. Paul, guy who wrote this book we're looking at today. He said, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know that what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through Him who gives me strength. Paul, is, he's laying out a secret of the Christian life. That no matter what your circumstances, there can be joy hidden within. Joy. Not just, okay, you can do this. You can grit down. You can bite your tongue. You can put your head down. He's saying, no, you can live with peace and with joy in the midst of whatever circumstance is happening in your life right now. He says one of the ways that that's going to happen, that you're going to show that Jesus has worked in your heart in that way, is you're not going to be someone who does eye service. You're not going to be a people pleaser. I remember my first job when I was in high school was at this place called Sterling Paint. Um, I didn't like that job. I'll be perfectly honest. Because, you know, I was the new guy, and I was the intern for the summer. And so what jobs do you think they gave me? The important ones? The ones that were fun to do? Obviously not. The opposite. And so I would go in the back, and I'd have to check in all the boxes that came from the big truck that pulled up, and I'd have to make sure the inventory was correct, and there was exactly this amount of paint cans in each of the boxes, that you know, and I was back there checking things. But I'll tell you what. I got a human heart. And I learned an incredible system that I could hang out back there for hours. <laughs> I could draw. I could have fun. And then if somebody, I could hear footsteps always because we had concrete floors. <laughs> and so I could hear that someone was coming back there. So, you know, as soon as I heard some footsteps coming, I could grab the clipboard. Seven. Yes, we got seven boxes from the headquarters. And everything is checking out. I, I knew how to do eye service perfectly well. Because again, I thought I was working for Sterling Paint. I thought I was working for that boss right there. But what God hadn't taught me yet, and he's beginning to teach me now, is that that's not who you're working for. That's not who you're working for. You're working for me. I'm the one who's got all the value stamped onto you. I'm the one who loves you. And this is going to be something you're doing for me because your work is from me and you're going to be doing it for me. He says, here's what he goes on. He says, do the will of God from the heart. Again, you notice how the Bible focuses constantly, constantly on the heart. It's all about what's going on in the inside, not what the outside circumstances are. It's an incredible picture that we have in this passage. He's saying your new center, because you're filled with the Spirit, is going to want to be in submission to God. And so you are going to be, you're going to be given the ability to do the will of God from the heart. And you know, here's what's interesting. Y'all, you need to notice this about Christianity, because it does this. God does this all the time staggering rewards right here knowing that whatever good any verse eight anyone does this he will receive back from the lord whether he is bondservant or is free the bible does is not blowing smoke have you let this ever like actually enter into your mind when you're at work that you are going to every little good thing you do for every employee that sits next to you in the cubicle, for every person who yells at you, for every boss who gives you work you really don't want to do, your reward is not from your company you're working for. Your reward is from God. And they're real rewards. It's not just going to be like you get into heaven and it's like, hey, bucko, 
you made it. Woo, by the hair, you know, by the skin of your teeth, but you made it in. You know, woo, hey, good job at your job you did for 73 years. That was amazing. You know, head on in. There's your mansion over there. It's not going to be like that at all. He's saying God tells us that there is, is going to be an accounting for all of the things that we have done in this life. Absolutely, Jesus is the way that we enter into the presence of the Father and that ultimately we get our entrance into heaven. But there is going to be rewards. There's going to be real rewards for the work that we have done. The ultimate thing being to hear, well done, good and faithful servant from the Lord. So don't forget about that. There are staggering, staggering rewards that God has promised us. When we change in our heart from working for men, from working for for our boss, for women, for whoever's over us, and working for God, it is a complete transformation of how you view and how you do your work. Now it's not just to be seen in front of the boss and you can steal from the company, you can cut corners. This is, y'all... What the Bible's setting up, not just for slave-master relationships, but for work relationships, for, for employee-employee relationships, this is transformative. Transform- what if employees actually did this? <laughs> it would revolutionize any company on the planet. It's from the inside out. It's from the inside out. Now he goes on. God goes on. Paul goes on. He says, bosses, bosses, masters, you need to hear something too. Guess what? You need to hear and you, you probably wish your boss would hear this. <laughs> Too bad your boss didn't come today. <laughs> You're not God. Okay, bosses? And some of you may be bosses in here. You're not God. Quit. Paul's like, quit! This is, you hear him? Look at him. Masters, stop your threatening! Stop acting like you're God. There is one judge in this universe. You aren't him. You know what what threatening is? I looked up the word, the Greek word. Apele. Apele is the word. And basically, here's, here's the definition of it. To declare that one will cause harm to someone, particularly if certain conditions are not met. You ever had that done to you? You ever had someone do that to you? You ever done it yourself? I had to come to grips with this even as a father with my children. How many times do I declare that one will cause harm to someone, particularly if certain conditions are not met? Mm. God is saying don't be a judge. And he says when, when you act like a judge, when you have some form of authority, it doesn't matter who it is that you're over, it can be a tiny little group of people. It can be a huge company. He says, when you act like God, you, be, you create an atmosphere of fear. And everyone hates to work there. You've probably worked at a place like that. What Paul is doing, what God is doing in this passage, is he is revolutionizing. He, y'all, he is not only completely demolishing and cracking the foundation of slavery with all this. Absolutely. Because he's saying, masters, you have the same position before God as the slaves that you're over. You have the same position. You are the same. You are co-equal. That's what he's saying. It's cracking it. But also, this is, this is true for any company, any employer. Stop threatening. Now, what do I mean? How does this play out in the real world? I saw it with a, a friend of mine named Dave Archer. 
he lives here in Charlottesville. And he used to work for this big company. They made flooring tile. And he created an incredible atmosphere of trust at his company. And I was like, how did you do that? His employees loved him. I mean, he was over hundreds and hundreds of employees. Um, and he said, well, you don't threaten. I was like, I mean, I mean, come on, doesn't it seem unrealistic, right? Like, we all threaten. You've been threatened. If you don't bring these numbers up by the end of the month, we're going to have to put you on the chopping block. We just intuitively think that's how you should motivate people is to instill fear into their heart, cause them to have stress, cause them to stay awake at night, cause them to have to be on drugs that get down the stress in their life. That's That's how we think the world works. And Paul's saying, no, it doesn't have to. What can happen instead is this. Trust. How do you build trust? You build in rewards. Okay, first of all, note to self, build in rewards. This goes for children. This goes for your own employment place. Build in rewards for good work done. That's what God is doing. That's what Paul is doing here in this passage. Also, do the action. Don't talk about it. See, that's what a threat is, right? A threat is if you don't bring up those numbers, just fire the person. (laughs) This sounds, okay, hear me out. This sounds kind of crazy. Hear me out. Uh, This was illustrated by Dave Archer. He said, look, we set a rule down that there would be no pilfering of each other's employees' lockers. And he said, when he, before he came to work at that company, that tile company, there was lots of pilfering. You know, they'd, they'd be able to figure out how to open up your locker, and oh, I stole a sandwich, and, you know, just took some little stuff, like little shoes here or there. You know, and he's like, that will end, because I want you to have an atmosphere of trust at this company. And so, about three days in of his working time there, Somebody took a sandwich from one of the lockers, and they found out about it. And he said, who, you know, who took the sandwich? You know, the guy, they're kind of laughing, kind of nudging. Oh, I, I took the sandwich. He's like, you're fired. Get your stuff. Go. <laughs> and all of the people in the room were like, what? He's <laughs> like, coolest person ever. And the guy who got fired was like, how can you fire me for taking a sandwich? This is the craziest thing ever. You're creating an atmosphere. He's like, I'm creating an atmosphere of trust. And those people who worked there, who remained, loved Dave. Because he had created a place where they could trust. They could trust one another. They could trust that what the company said was going to happen was actually going to happen. No more idle threats. I do this with my kids all the time. Christy, help me on their vacation to not do this so much. If you don't stop doing that, I'm going to take away your thing. Just do it, Nathan. Why? I'm so spineless sometimes. Take it away, because I want them to like me. You know, I have approval issues, like we talked about in the idolatry class. (laughs) Finally, in conclusion, 2 Peter says this, starting with verse 13 of chapter, I think it's 2. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, who have a new boss, a new master, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Fear God. Honor the emperor. 
Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure, but if you do good and suffer for it, you endure? This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For this you have been called. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you. Leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We remember what, what Peter is in this passage getting across. We remember Jesus. Jesus is the transformative power from the inside out. It will wreck every institution in this world. It will wreck every family. It will wreck every community when Jesus gets in on the inside. Because the love is so radical. It's so radical. It says, he, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting to himself to him who judges justly. The seed is right there, y'all. He bore our sins. He bore our sins. The burden of sin is gone. Stand up straight. The burden of sin is gone. It's gone. We're dead to sin. You can look at that thing that tempts you all the time and you can look at it and you can pronounce, I'm dead to you. Or you're dead to me, maybe a better way to put it. (laughs) Whatever the idol is that you bowed down to this week, you can declare, you're dead to me. You are declared righteous. You are healed. It says right there, by his wounds you've been healed. You are healed. Walk in newness of life, straight back. Here we go. This is strengthening part. Straight back into those same circumstances you came into this room from. Y'all, I know you are headed back into the fight. I know it. I pray for each one of you. I know some of your circumstances. And I know it's not going to get better for a long time. But what Jesus promises, what God promises to us right here, is that He will not, He will never forsake us. And He will always be transforming us from the inside out. Christ will always be loving us. God will always be with us. May you be strengthened by the seed of the kingdom in your heart this week. He has already bought your freedom. If He has given us freedom, you are free indeed. Let's pray. Lord God, I will be the first to admit this morning that I really wish, there are several circumstances in my life that I I want you to change. You know I've, I've, I've asked. I've begged. But Lord, 
I trust this morning that you know what is best and that you are going to change me first before you change any of my circumstances. Lord, thank you that you absolutely crumbled the institution of slavery by the gospel of grace within the heart. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to crumble any institution of oppression through this same gospel truth that proclaims that we have one and only one boss and that you are good and that your burden is light and that you will receive us when we are weary and beat up and broken and you will find us at the end of the driveway and you will put the robe and the ring on us even even when we've been wallowing in the pit in the in the dirt in the mire because that is the kind of god you are lord we don't understand why you don't change more circumstances but what we do understand is that you've given us jesus as the supreme power and the supreme example of trust in you, Father. And we thank you this morning that not only have you taken away our sin through Jesus, but you have given us the perfect record of Jesus' trust in you for our own. May May that be the fuel that carries us through another week in our circumstances. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.